0: disenfranchised from everything well, I fall up and I fall down An American loser the day I was born
1: welcome back folks it's American loser it's the podcast that puts the spotlight firmly on second place huge announcement for us by the way if you guys are familiar with the show which I hope you are you would know that we are be doing uh every month we do a patreon exclusive episode. You can come join, or you used to be able to join, but would have been known as the Founding Losers. We capped that off at 56, okay? That was one for every original signer of the Declaration of Independence. Very happy, very pleased. We're actually above 56 in total now. And I want to say real quickly, shout out to all the Founding Losers, the people who have been with us since day one. Your small monetary contributions, just five bucks a month. That's all we ask. If you give more, I mean, we're very grateful for that. We won't turn you down. But uh, five bucks a month is uh, the cost of one large cup of coffee over at Dunkin' Donuts. So instead of your pumpkin spice, how about you get an hour, hour and a half of extra bonus exclusive content from the loser boys over here? There you go, there uh, (laughs) you go, get it while we got it. And if this is your first episode you haven't been listening to, I wanna say welcome. My name's KP Burke. I used to be a stand-up comedian back before COVID. And my father
0: used to be a shop teacher back before he retired. So <laughs> right. say hello to the folks, Lawrence Patrick. Hello, folks. Lawrence Patrick here. That's and a... <laughs> they're just having a wonderful time here in uh, Eatontown, New Jersey at a Shared Universe studio.
1: Absolutely. Mike and Ming take great care of us. Uh, Ming behind the ones and twos here because Kahuna's gone Hollywood on us. He's gone, dude. He's uh, in the mist. Is he? And, and Ming, you did say he is coming back, though, right?
0: Uh, he will be back at some point. Yeah. yeah. You know, maybe when he remembers us. or uh, Pending when re-
1: album sales. Yeah. So. Or uh, when his agent steals all his money. Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> <You know>, right. <laughs> but uh, we're excited here. We're actually we're recording this one. It's November 1st right now. So uh, we're in a new month here. And uh, we got a great topic for you guys today. We kind of stumbled upon this one doing the research for one of our Patreon-exclusive episodes. We did uh, one on the Whiskey Rebellion. Right. And I think that's where you found um, the, some of the information on today's yeah, we topic. Had a,
0: we had a holy shit moment uh, in doing the research that, uh, wow, I didn't realize the backstory to the Whiskey Rebellion and in the back backstory. So, yeah, we, we dove a little deeper and scratched away at the surface and uh, came up with some holy shit moments here. Well, that's the beauty of the podcast. We do put the
1: spotlight firmly on second place, but uh, sometimes second place doesn't mean that you – Lost. I mean, today's loser is definitely a loss, but uh, sometimes that's just something that doesn't get covered in American history or is reduced to just one line in a textbook. Now, I've read every history textbook because I used to read ahead in history class because uh, I was very bored by it because I'd already learned most of this shit on my own via <laughs> summer vacations and extracurricular reading. And, you know, sometimes I'd read my history books during math class, which, as we were talking about before the show, is why I had to go to summer school so often. But uh I am the goodwill hunting of American history. Okay, I think that's fair to say. (laughs) But um, uh, the point today is that people tend to oversimplify history. It's a a natural way to do it. People have to compartmentalize their bullshit to try to understand it. Uh, And if you're guilty of that or even worse, guilty of having a boring history teacher. If you have a boring history teacher, uh, oh, they I make feel those? really bad for you.
0: Do they make those yeah. boring history teachers? There's
1: so many people that love this podcast that say, um, I hated history in school. I can't believe I like your show.
0: And I was like, yeah, you had shitty teachers. OK. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Wait a minute. As part of as somebody that came from that uh, genre, if you will, not shitty history teacher, but just shitty teachers. Uh, I take offense to that. Gab. You, I mean, know. you mean to say that there's. Good and bad in any profession? I think we need to end your job security, okay? Get rid of tenure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm hey, teasing. It's not a political show. It's not a political <laughs> show.
1: But uh, we're going to dig into a small, weird footnote of history in earnest today that we found us that let us down several wild, wild wormholes. Okay. Um, I don't think the average American, uh, especially one who probably had the misfortune of, like we said, having a, a boring history teacher, really has a clue about the time period between cuz when you study history in school what is it oh there was the American Revolution then there was a war in 1812 and then uh, the Civil War happened right right and that's we go from war to war yeah did we skip over 100 years is that
0: really yeah. what it is and did we skip over a couple of wars that were in between that didn't really get the play that uh maybe we kind of lost them in the in the first well at the first half we lost <laughs> <laughs> it didn't really have a comeback until the second half of the game and Wipe them uh, out. It's wild and it's uh
1: we always think about this one too, because when you talk about the Native Americans here, and you uh raised me in a household that had great reverence for the Native Americans because you had a fascination with them as a boy, and you passed that down on to me. And uh Kerry was always proud to be part Cherokee, my uh, my adopted sister, um, which we found out is a lie. She's not. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> but um now, there was always cool Native American artifacts around the house. There was always a, a, a fun kind of mysticism with them that led to an interest that led to then some more deeper reading, which gave you a greater appreciation to them. Is that I think that's fair to say?
0: Right, it would be it would go to the uh, not so often publicized version of uh, American history that uh, you know if we're wiping out a, a race or a civilization, uh, maybe we don't want to upplay that. We want to downplay that. Or of any losses that we had early on. I mean, we have the whole, you know, we're going into November now. So we're going into the Thanksgiving and, the, you know, the pilgrims and how we got along with the Indians and they helped us um, with Thanksgiving and all that kind of stuff. But uh, there's a huge uh, downside to, to, to that whole picture.
1: Yeah, it's. Uh, but then again, like we were saying, people tend to oversimplify. They were like, well, the pilgrims came here. We had Thanksgiving. Then we stole their land, smallpox blankets Then the Wild West. Then we killed all them. Then little bighorn. Then uh, we got rid of them all. Now they own casinos. Right.
0: <laughs> there You go. Now we're giving that's them the cliff
1: money. notes <laughs> for right. the dumb kids that have like a little tiny grip of knowledge. And they just sit there and like, oh, well, I understand all of this. Right. No, you don't. There's some nuance here, man. This was a wild, wild time period in American history. So they got uh, a lot of stuff going on over here. I've noticed that uh, the more I look, the more fascinating post-revolution America becomes for me. Uh, on our episode about the Whiskey Rebellion, President Washington was facing down some issues in Pennsylvania among his own countrymen. Right. The good people of Pennsylvania are up in arms. And by the way, you can get that episode on Patreon for just five bucks. OK, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> a little plug. But. The uh, British aren't exactly kicked out of the entire continent just yet. Uh, The French are still kind of involved in the new world. And then there's a little bit of a Spanish influence still going on down, like the St. Augustine and Florida areas where uh, I used to get I was stationed with the United States Navy for a couple of years. And then there are the legit natives. Okay, Uh, history paints them as victims of cruel expansion. There is certainly definitely a lot of credence to that description. But I don't think people realize just how fearsome they were. To the idea of this, the settlers kind of expanding and moving on here and uh, just how close the Native Americans and not necessarily pan Indianism, which comes under Tecumseh, really. But um, a couple of the tribes that kind of uh, had a handshake agreement in place of, hey, we don't really get along with you guys, but we really don't get along with these encroaching, you know, settlers that are right. coming in because we gave them that part of the country. And then, you know, now they're moving around the other side of the river here. It's getting a little dicey. Uh, they really. Almost defeated America. They were the greatest threat came from within. Kind of a wild thing to think about. So uh, today's topic is going to be fascinating in that regard. Um, They came extremely close to beating the young United States to a pulp. This week's topic is the ill-famed Battle of Wabash, a.k.a. St. Clair's Defeat.
0: Uh, Dad, when you name it St. Clair's Defeat, does that sound like it's going to go good for us? No, that's uh, that's not so good unless you realize who St. Clair is. I mean, that that could have been a British defeat. It could have been, you know, what, what exactly is that? Um, but, yeah, we're going to un- unpack this uh, Arthur St. Clair or St. Clair's Defeat, the Battle of Wabash. It's interesting, too, is that if we lost the battle. Um, we're going to have to give it a whole bunch of different names to, to spread the confusion. A <laughs> a <little bit. laughs> hide that stuff. Hide that stuff. Call it by a different name so it doesn't look so bad for us.
1: No, no. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to set up the zeitgeist here for us is uh, the uh, nation is now established. The American Revolution has been won. You signed the Treaty of Paris. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now America's in deep debt where it's like, uh, hey, by the way, uh, congrats on buying a home. Here's your mortgage. You know, that kind of a vibe. And uh, the new nation is actually unable to tax people on account of that's a huge part of the the reason we just got into this giant war. No taxation without representation. And and then you have the Articles of Confederation that are in play that's not allowing them to tax people. This is pre-Constitution America.
0: Yeah, this is the the start of of our nation is that, all right, so we've now declared our independence from um, uh, Britain. We fought for that. you know, we had a decisive battle at Yorktown. The British are now uh, signed at the PD of, uh, Treaty of Paris. That uh, um, yeah, we we are going to be independent, but there's still some very strong British influences in the North American continent. We only we only got the uh, really the eastern seaboard. Um, up in Canada is still under British control. Uh, out west is under either British control or Spanish control or French control. So, you know, mm-hmm. we, we still we have a lot of uh, a lot of uh, enemies at the borders, if you will, uh, enemy at the gate. And uh, we still have uh, the Native Americans from within that are uh, not getting along too well with us. And just to back that up a little bit, um, while we were still British colonies, the British government decided that the British colonies on the eastern seaboard weren't going to go west of the Appalachian Mountains. And uh, there was actually land that was uh, decided that it was going to be Native American territory. With And it was a very strong confederacy of, of these various tribes or Indian nations that were uh, American Indian nations um, that were coming together that became a very strong force on the other side of the Appalachian Mountains.
1: Which uh, makes me laugh a little bit because we talked about the Treaty of Paris. So that's an agreement where Great Britain finally acknowledges the United States and they say, all right, so this is your guys's territory. We're going to we're out now. Okay, you guys, congratulations. You're your own country. It's yours. But uh, I kind of like this uh, analogy for it. That's like the bank saying, "Okay, cool. So you bought this foreclosure. Um, This is your house now. Um, We're not going to tell you about the squatters. OK, <laughs> yeah,
0: and people are there yeah, before you guys not were there. to
1: subjugate the Native Americans to being uh, referred to as squatters. But uh, they were not a party to the Treaty of Paris. Nope. So the idea of uh, you're getting rid of their property without them telling them what's that? What's a legal document mean if the, you know, the people aren't even being included in it that live there? So there's a lot of stuff going on over here. Now, like I said too, the nation is in debt. So they got to figure out what they're going to do. The go to move for America, as long as they had it available. And I mean, they're still kind of we we were talking about this in the car right down. uh, Land speculation is always going to be a a big part of a the
0: world and then b the new world. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was the land of promises that you could, uh, you know, Joe Average could go out and carve up part of the the wilderness, if you will, and make it his own. That's going to be my property and coming from. You know, uh, an English uh, background uh, to own land was was everything. If you don't own land, you don't own property. First off, you couldn't vote. So, I mean, you had no representation if you didn't own property. Mm-hmm. So there you go.
1: Well, now, uh, another interesting part of this, too, is that the American way of trying to get out of debt. And this happens a bunch throughout their history is to sell the land. So, oh, it's American land. Oh, we'll sell it to somebody else. That's good. And that's how they would try to get themselves out of debt. So that becomes their go to move for the longest time over here. But. Again, that's the thing we're going to sell you land, but it's not really. I mean, it's our land in theory, but we're not going to tell you about some of the weird. It's like one of those haunted house movies where they're just like, uh, oh, um, there's a poltergeist, but we don't have to disclose that on the MLS real estate form. (laughs) (laughs) So the natives of the Northwest Territory were not a part of that Treaty of Paris, and they were not given a seat at the table for any of these matters. Yet, the U.S. is going to be selling land in, uh, I always like it from last of the Mohicans, Kentucky Territory. Yeah.
0: And and to take that back, I mean, that whole area. Now, we're talking about the area that's west of the Appalachian Mountains and pretty much north of the Ohio River up to the Great Lakes. So, we're talking, you know, and uh, the western boundary was pretty much um, the Mississippi River. So, we're talking about a big chunk of territory. Now, Initially, the Native Americans in that area were dealing with the French because the French tried to establish there. So there's trading posts and that kind of stuff back and forth with the French. There's a French and Indian War, uh, which was pretty much the French uh, and their Native American allies against the British. The British win. So now the British are in trading with what used to be the French trading posts so they're still trying it's a, it's a resource furs and and everything else was a a lot of the resources are coming out of that area so now the british are trying to take control of what used to be under french control um and they're making promises to the native americans yeah this whole territory this northwest territory is uh, going to be yours, that uh, we're going to stay out of that. We're just going to do a little trading. We'll give you some uh-huh. some weapons, some gun, you know, whatever whatever you, your needs might have, and we'll just trade you for your natural resources, which is primarily furs. And uh, that's the other thing,
1: too, is that there's different tribes along with different people. So there's tribes that get along with uh, the Redcoats, and then there's tribes that get along with, uh, you know, the French. And then there's people who are like, well, we don't really – now, America, what the hell is this? this is it a new thing? You know, so and there are tribes that get along with us, too. There's other tribes that don't. Um, But again, it's uh, I like to go back to that idea of the uh, the poltergeist in the house. The uh, U.S. is starting to realize that as they're telling these people, oh, by the way, why don't you buy some land from us? No one's going to buy the land if they realize that there's the potential to be killed by the Native Americans. (laughs) Right, right, right. And during uh, these couple of years where they're trying to do this in the Ohio River area, that's what it was called at the time. Right. Which I believe is going to be Ohio, Indiana, um, Michigan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, kind of, A little bit of Kentucky down there, too, you know, so it's that whole a big, like you said, that Western Pennsylvania
0: huge... um, into Kentucky, uh, you know, Western Virginia, really, at that time. So West Virginia, Kentucky, Ohio, Michigan, Indiana, and then a little bit about essentially the Big Ten for football. <laughs> there you go. There you go. That's but, a tough game schedule for sure.
1: Absolutely. As Rutgers has learned firsthand. But there uh, <laughs> yeah. there, uh, U.S. is selling the land over here. But uh, there's during this time period, the constant threat uh, due to the uh, the violence going on, I believe it's over fifteen hundred uh, settlers, trappers, hunters and travelers wind up getting killed. Okay, so it's not a very safe place to be. It's like, sure, hey, land as far as the eye can see, just, you know, going to pat, you know, carve out my little patch of heaven over here as long as, you know, they don't carve out my fucking scalp off my head. Right. (laughs) But the U.S. is realizing nobody's going to buy this land unless they can start to promise the safety for those who are now brave enough to make the journey. So and again, Kentucky has been a wild time. I mean, that's been a wild place for uh, American history, going all the way back to uh, one of my childhood heroes, Daniel Boone. Okay, so. Kentucky was a wild place to begin with. Now they're like, oh, we're going to start to settle it a little bit. Nope. Still wild. Yep. So enter uh, the first Jersey connection for the day here, guys. Two guys from Jersey get involved with this one. Uh, John Cleves Sims and Jonathan Dayton, who I couldn't prove this yet. I, I should have looked this one up, but the idea of Dayton and we mentioned Ohio is going to be in here. I'm curious if that's a namesake. I'll have to look that up later. Um Sims, by the way, was part of the Continental Congress where he represented New Jersey and uh, Dayton, another Jersey guy who would later serve as the Speaker of the House. Ming, by the way, just gave me the thumbs up. The fact checking monster himself just came up with (laughs) Dayton, Ohio, is named after Jonathan Dayton, a boy from Jersey. All right. So. <laughs> You're welcome, Buck Land. Exactly. <laughs> you know, Jersey's center of the universe. No one wants to admit it. OK, I don't even want to admit it, but it is. It but,
0: is. <laughs> just, it's the way it is. Can't argue truth.
1: Yeah, we are. Uh, I, I don't know if it's the center of the universe or where the asshole of the universe and everything, you know,
0: <laughs> everything the, comes from. Yeah.
1: It. <laughs> somewhere in between the left and the right butt cheek is New Jersey. It's an but. extrusion. <laughs> But uh, yeah, and then uh, Dayton later serves as uh, I think he was the third speaker of the House, if I recall that correctly. But uh, they petition General, uh, I'm sorry, President George Washington, and uh, the Secretary of War George Knox, Revolutionary War hero. They say, hey, listen, man, can you guys put together? We got to get some sort of a task force out there. We need a armed presence, a military presence, out west, if you will, in order to give these settlers a sense of security here, because. I mean, these are militia guys trying to fight their skirmishes going on. left, Let's establish a military presence to give these people a sense of security. Otherwise, they're going to stop buying this land and we're not going to be able to pay off this debt.
0: Yeah. Again, this is a brand new nation. And there was a definite fear of having a standard army standing army because that didn't work so well over in England. That just led to so many different civil wars and religious wars and back and forth with um, this guy's got an army. This guy's got an army. Uh, we don't get along. So we're going to war um, now. There was the whole idea of was the militia. And that um, that became into play even with the American Revolution. with the, the Minutemen uh, at Lexington and Concord um, were really a militia um, that, you know, in in time of need, they would just rally together and um, you know, fight for the for the common it's essentially cause, essentially the National the Guard threat. You're I right. serve my country one well, uh, weekend a month, two weeks. A year. <laughs> yeah, but it wasn't uh, it wasn't a National Guard that had any kind of training. It was just coming together. And, you know, um, but that whole idea uh, of a the former mission- guest of the show will tell you that the current Army National Guard also has no training. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. But uh, my point is, is that each colony or what later became a state, each state had their own militia. And then um, with this threat of uh, the Native Americans on the frontier uh, that we're now trying to develop that area, um, we have no standing army to really go up against them. So it's a piecemeal uh, effort to uh, to counteract the uh, the Native American threat. And... You know, that finally Congress relinquishes and decided, yeah, you know what, we really do need a standing army and a standing army is developed. Um, and again, this is all in the very beginning of our of our nation. So there's different ideas that uh, were argued back and forth and are tried out. But um um,
1: there's liberal and conservative policies at play here, too, where it's like, well, hey, we ought to do this. All right. But how are we going to pay for it? Right. So and then eventually that leads us to just paying taxes out the ass and negating our own revolution. But that's another story for another time.
0: <laughs> well, the, the the Continental Army, the one that really was credited with, uh, you know, the Revolutionary War, that's disbanded once the uh, Treaty of Paris is signed. It had been disbanded long before that because it was a couple of years from the last major battle, which was Yorktown to the finally the signing of the, of the Treaty of Paris. But now uh, now that we've uh, won our independence and we're starting to set up this new nation and we've got an executive branch, we've got, you know, the uh, congressional. We've got all these different branches of this new founded uh, government. This is a whole this is brand new. I mean, yeah, we are copying some stuff that um, we took from England and we're but we're, we're piecemeal in this whole thing together. Finally, Congress decides, yeah, we we are going to have to have an army. But a lot of people are against an army. And how are we going to pay for that standing army? So they finally decide, all right, we are going to authorize uh, uh, an infantry uh, regiment to be established. uh, And there's going to be three battalions and one artillery battalion. Grand total of twelve hundred guys. That's our that's our standing army initially. Um, 1,200 guys, and they're supposed to defend the entire frontier. So you're going from, you know, basically Maine to Georgia at the time, and 1,200 guys are going to take care of uh, our frontier borders. Well, that didn't work out so, so well.
1: No, it's – and and these are, by the way, uh, a lot of these um, tribes aren't tribes that people are very familiar with. I feel like Apache and uh, the Sioux typically are –
0: Yeah, what we learned from television. Yeah, it's uh, (laughs) the Wild West stuff. but. Watching um, me TV on Saturday morning. That's a that's
1: a <laughs> do we know anyone that does that? A, good old Sandy Burke. Um, but uh, so George Knox, the secretary of war uh, and President Washington, they do start to put together this the units for the task of uh, defeating or quelling the violence for the uh, most troublesome tribe in the area, which was the Miami. So, uh One of my great friends who I I won't say his name because I don't think he wants to be mentioned as a comic anymore because he's got a a very good job that uh, he tries to hide his past from. But uh, he had a great joke about how he went to the uh, University of uh, Miami, Ohio. Right. (laughs) So he's not a Miami hurricane. He's not hanging out with Dan Marino, you know, and the cheerleaders or anything like that. He was in Ohio, but there is Miami, Ohio, which is the Miami tribe that was down there. So um, now the head of the Miami tribe, if you will, is a a guy by the name of. Don Shula. Uh, I'm kidding. (laughs) No, uh, their chief or Sagamore is, I believe, the correct term for them was a guy by the name of Little Turtle. Okay, which is uh, doesn't sound like a badass name, but Little Turtle, about as badass as they come. So uh, and he was a great leader, very smart guy and had the respect of his people, even though his name sounds every time I hear it, I always just hear in my head. I like turtles. (laughs) But the uh, other tribe that was very feared in the area was the Shawnee. Okay. And they were led by a guy named uh, Blue Jacket. Okay. Which amuses me because the Native American names tended to be like a physical characteristic or a personality trait. So, uh, you know, my name would be like guy who tells dick jokes or something like that. <laughs> right. he, and, uh, he who tells. Yeah. And, uh, you yeah, know, your name would be prominent mustache or something like that. <laughs> but, and uh, Kahuna's name would be Kahuna. So there's <laughs> There you go,
0: the big Kahuna.
1: But uh, I just wondered, did this guy just have a blue jacket on one day and you're like, oh, shit, we forgot to name you?
0: So <laughs> But yeah, well, one of the one of uh, Little Turtle's um, attributes or one of his skill sets, if you will, was to be able to communicate to the other uh, tribes, to the other Indian nations that, hey, we've got we've got this common threat. And it's pretty much the uh, the colonists the, uh, that are now encroaching on our lands. And if we don't if we don't stand united against this common threat, um, we're all going to fall. You know, a house divided and all that kind of thing. So he Abraham Lincoln of uh, of the natives. Right. So he was able to um, bring these various tribes together that oftentimes in in their own historical past um, were at odds with one another because they're fighting over a common hunting ground or whatever. But, you know, he's able to uh, bring this confederation of, of tribes together to face the, uh, you know, the common foe, which was uh, the British the settlers, now the American colonists that uh, are invading their, their territory or further continue to invade their territory because they've already been pushed back. Um, one of the tribes that was involved with that was the Delaware and everybody's um, modern day common remembrance of the Delaware oh yeah those are the guys that are around you know Delaware and and New Jersey and they were you know a peaceful tribe and everything Well, oh, not so much they didn't really get peaceful until we annihilated them so yeah uh, that's a uh, you know that that'll that'll settle things uh when you uh, wipe them out either through smallpox or or um fighting or whatever but And they like to dismiss uh, the natives as uh, savages
1: sometimes. But these are high IQ people with very um, intricate cultures. And most of them had I thought this was worth noting, too, that to be able to communicate within different tribes, that means usually crossing a language barrier as well. So this is really a a concerted effort here to try to to mount a a palpable resistance against the encroaching settlers. And um, we're going to cover that here because they do a pretty good job of it, I'm going to say. Uh, a general by the name of uh, Josiah Harmer was uh, a general from the American Revolution as well. These are all guys that are battle tested for the most part. Um, he gets placed in charge of the initial response to the issues uh, here in the uh, the Northwest Territory. He's given a pretty sizable force of about uh, 1,400 men. Uh, only about 300 or so were regulars and the rest were militia So you kind of did a good job of covering that earlier. Right. If you're a regular, that means you are a... Uh, We'll just use the term badass, that that you're every day you wake up and it's uh, I'm here for war.
0: Right. You At least you've had some training and you knew what you were
1: going. Formal into. training, a paycheck, um, and, and the idea that you understand what you're getting yourself into. And equipped. Yes. Um, now, the rest of these guys are going to be militia, which, as you said, Dad, that's people who are just like the, you know, the neighborhood watch almost getting together. So. Right. But um,
0: the rest it, are going to be. Maybe mo- we'll give you a beret and you can. Um, you know, patrol the neighborhood and see what uh, see what's going on. I just heard in my head, I just heard Ralph Wiggum. I'm helping.
1: (laughs) 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 But uh, so this becomes an important part of the story here, too. So October 7th, 1790, uh, Harmer and his troops march north of Fort Washington. Okay, for context, Fort Washington is nowadays downtown Cincinnati.
0: Yeah, well, let's just let me just back this up with a little bit, too, that Um, In this whole Northwest Territory, um, there's a guy by the name of Arthur St. Clair who was made governor of this Northwest Territory. So we've got a politico who is in that Northwest section. Who's now, oh, we just raised uh, a new standing army. That's that's awesome. Hey, please come up to this area and help us out here because we're we've had mm-hmm. some problems with the with the natives, with the Indians. So Armor um, and Arthur St. Clair is, uh, you know, a revolutionary war guy as well. So he's got some. He's got some smarts as far as uh, military matters. So but he's now at the governor of this Northwest Territory. So, hey, if we got this army, let's send some of these boys up here and let's get uh, some protection and some, some help uh, against the the Native Americans. So Harmer um, is then sent up with the with a small batch of regulars and the vast majority of his forces, you know, untrained militia that was not really the the top flight, uh, top yeah. tier, first round draft picks. <laughs> uh,
1: as I was saying, too, the uh, for context, Fort Washington is nowadays uh, Cincinnati. OK, so you're hanging out with uh, Chad Ochosenko and the boys down there. But uh, in what Google Maps says would be a two day, 49 hour nonstop walk, uh, the men will reach uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Uh, takes them about two weeks in order to do that. So they're dispatching themselves out of Fort Washington. So they're pretty much walking from Cincinnati to Fort Wayne, Indiana. So, and this is where the first of the disasters are going to hit.
0: Going through the wilderness. Yeah, <laughs> going through the wilderness. There's you weren't just no walking. No trails. You weren't. There's no, there's no interstate to hop on over there. All
1: right. But uh, now they're uh, like I said, takes them about uh, two weeks or so to do this. And uh, anyway, when they arrive in that area. There are three separate detachments uh, that are sent out in order to uh, engage with the, the natives, if you will, that all get ambushed by this. Uh, again, I, I keep using the term pan Indian. It's not like Tecumseh had it all set up, but this is um, this Indian coalition, if you will. Uh, they are proving themselves quite effective here because on all three instances, they're able to take down um, pretty much, I mean, at will almost these uh, uh colonial militia. And again, to call them colonial is weird, too, but they are essentially trying to establish a new colony. These are settlers, if you will. So um, now, uh, in addition to the uh, effectiveness of the attacks... The Continentals were not properly reinforced in any of the three engagements. So this is going to lead to massive losses for the Americans. I believe it's to the tune of a two to one ratio in favor of the natives, meaning for every Continental. They, uh, I'm sorry, every Native American that uh, dies in these skirmishes. He they're took taking, out two. Yeah, you're taking out right. two of the Americans right. with you.
0: Yeah. Homer, the guy who was leading this expedition into the Northwest Territory. Um, You know, he made a couple of mistakes. One is he's dividing his forces. So he's got a small force. I mean, I think it was 1400 guys, maybe 1500 guys, but he's dividing them up into three. Um, And we had another military guy, maybe about 80 years later, (laughs) made the same mistake about dividing his forces. But um, this um, this native uh, uh, leader, Little Turtle. Um, wipes him out. Um, Harmer loses about 183 killed. So um, he's soundly defeated. And, you know, that that first uh, regiment that's put together uh, didn't fare so well when it was only supported by militia. So to use a pop culture reference to kind of explain
1: it, uh, last the Mohicans does a great job of this, where um, they show when the uh, the British are marching and they have the drums playing and everything and the Native Americans are just encircling them. You know, in that that one march out of uh, Fort William Henry. Right. And so they do a great job of that. The other movie, I think, makes some sense here to talk about, you know, I'm going to sneak it in aliens. (laughs) So you got these guys coming in here and they're dealing. They don't know what they're dealing with. It's out of nowhere. All of a sudden there's attacks happening here. There's a there's whooping. There's sounds they've never heard before. They're in a foreign territory. It's not an easy task for them to be trying to accomplish this here. But um, like we said, they're not getting uh, any sort of uh, backup in these instances as well. And it is a total defeat on this one. So now um, the expedition has failed and not only has it failed, but the natives know that it failed. So what's going to conjure up a little bit more of that pride? And, uh, you know, now there's a sense of confidence. Oh, we're beating these guys back. It's working. So Washington's pissed. He realizes he's going to have to get more aggressive. He needs a new man for the job. And like you said, Dad, who's he going to turn to other than the current governor of the Northwest Territory? Arthur St. Clair.
0: Right. I mean, he's the governor, so he's certainly familiar with the area and, and the uh, the terrain, if you will, that uh, who better. And then uh, um, Arthur St. Clair was a, uh, you know, fought with Washington in the, in the revolution. So he is an experienced military guy. He's not just some political governor that uh, is now put in charge so he's got some military. sounds like the trend. right guy on paper yeah on paper it sounds it sounds real good um you know again in this this first attempt uh, to deter the native americans uh that failed miserably um so what are you going to do now congress authorizes all right well we only we only put out one regiment and that didn't have really the effect we wanted so now they authorize a second regiment to be formed um, and this is really the start of the uh, the U.S. Army um, that uh, we have this larger force now standing of standing army that uh, is now authorized by Congress. And somehow, but at the same time, we're still fighting the other side of the aisle that uh, – Uh, How are we going to pay for this? How are we going to pay for this? So let's have an army, but let's let's do it as cheap as we can. Yeah, it's uh, it's the classic where it's like we need to make sure we have the best stuff out there
1: made with the cheapest materials. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So, I mean, they start recruiting this up. Um, President Washington calls upon uh, an old uh, cohort of his, this Arthur St. Clair, who um, performed. He had some ups and downs during the Revolutionary War. But uh, I don't know if you want me to get into a little bit of his background. Yeah, cover it. Um, Arthur St. Clair was uh, Scottish-born. Um, as an 11-year-old, he saw members of his clan fighting against um, British forces um, with uh, the war with Bonnie Prince Charlie, which, again, was a, a religious war that goes back to merry old England. Um, what a story that guy has, man yeah him. so. I guess as a kid, he sees that, you know, this British army defeated the, you know, his his clan or the guys that at least his family was siding with. Um, So maybe uh, maybe he ought to figure out how how they did that. Um, He buys uh, he goes to college. He goes to school. Drops out, um, and then there's um, some historians report that he bought a commission in the British Army, so that he could figure out you know what makes these guys so good. Um, leaves uh, Scotland, goes, comes, go, go, fights in the French and Indian War, so he's got some uh, some experience there. So he's a he's a a tried and true military guy Uh, during the American Revolution. He sides with with the American side, Um, is involved with uh, the invasion into uh, into Canada during the early days of the revolution. Hanging out with old Benedict Arnold. Yeah, Hanging out with those guys Um, um, also was involved with uh, Fort Ticonderoga, also very much involved with uh, Washington ordered him to take some troops. Again, a Jersey connection. There was some New Jersey militia at Ticonderoga. And he's uh, when Washington is retreating across New Jersey. um, He sends messages to uh, St. St. Clair to, hey, bring those uh, Jersey guys out of Ticonderoga and bring them back to me to gather the forces. And as they're. Retreating across New Jersey, well, a lot of these guys, that, as they're coming back into New Jersey, their recruitments are up, their enlistments are up, so <laughs> they're skedaddle. And by the time St. Clair joins up with Washington in Pennsylvania, it's not a whole lot of guys left. I mean, they all, they all did the thing. Oh boy! You know that I think we covered in previous episodes um, when Washington escaped. Out of New York and retreated across New Jersey and got into Pennsylvania, about 90 percent of his force had already done the done the skedaddle, either through desertions Jesus. or their enlistments are up or everything else. So now he's uh, Washington gives him the charge of uh, raising a militia, mul- raising and training a militia force out of New Jersey. He was pretty successful with that. And then uh, Saint Clair is also very uh, influential in the planning on the attack on Trenton, which was a major victory for the for the Continentals. And yeah, he's later, no schlug. Saint Clair's a no And shlub. also, uh, also uh, very much involved with the victory that we had at Princeton. So he was, you know, he had some ups, but he also had some downs because he also lost. He was then put back in charge of Ticonderoga later in the war, and and lost that and. You know, there, there was some speculation that he mismanaged the uh, the defense of Ticonderoga, which was crucial um, for the defense of the of the colonies, that the British weren't going to come out of uh, out of Canada. Anyhow, the long and the short of it, Washington had a very a solid relationship, if you will, with St. Clair. So I guess Washington's thinking who's who's better than this guy who has proven himself. He had some some missteps, absolutely during the revolution. But you wouldn't War. put him as the governor of the territory. If yeah, he was but so, you know he's he's politically involved. He's militarily involved. So he's in charge of the of the Northwest Territory. So who better than to have this military general? To now re- start or lead this, the second regiment that was raised in the defense of the Northwest Territories against the uh, the, the uh, Native Americans. So, By the way, real fun <coughs> thing I just want to
1: interrupt with. We've never had this happen before, but um, typically I put my phone on airplane mode. I neglected to do that right now. And this is the first time live on the air we've had another member of uh, the Patreon join up. So <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Thank well, you, to uh fr- <laughs> Friend of uh, of the family, if you will, uh, Bill Cianci, and a former guest of the show, one of the funniest guests, too, by the way. <laughs>
0: nice, nice. Bill nice. Cianci's
1: Burger Reviews just pledged $5 and joined up with uh, the, the loserdom, if you will.
0: Now, is that uh, through the magic of Harry Houdini uh, That's <laughs> with Houdini dying <laughs> yesterday on on Halloween? Ooh,
1: geez. That's right. What a tie-in, LP. Mm, okay, there we go. Not bad, sir. There well, go. I'll tell you what, we're, we're going to do We're now. feeling the love, though. Thank oh, you very much, Mr. I- and we've had other people, too. We're actually beyond the 56 already. This is right, great. There we go. That was the there original dream. But
0: so uh, anyhow, he's St. Clair is put in charge of uh, raising this new force to go um, help out with the Northwest Territory. Recruitment uh, doesn't go real well. They're paying a whopping three dollars a month uh, minus a dollar for clothing and medical expenses for this uh, for these militia that are going to now go out. To help with the regulars, um, you know, regular army. Um, these guys who are coming from prisons and brothels and <laughs> the line that I found him using there were they were purchased from prisons, wheelbarrows and brothels. <laughs> that's a good that's a good crowd to go fight a war. with. Hey, Go right?
1: wake that drunk up and
0: tell him he's fighting for his country <laughs> right. now. Right.
1: Not too far removed from how I joined the Navy.
0: Yeah, And again, some old Revolutionary War cohorts Uh, at this point in time. uh, Secretary of War is our own Henry Knox, who was in charge of the artillery during the Revolutionary War. Um, And he's um, he's got, um, you know, at this point in time, he's an elderly gentleman. And I think better days were are behind him. Uh, And he's uh, um, got another guy again from. Uh, Revolutionary War days that worked with Knox during the Revolution of Samuel uh, Hodgkin, uh, who was the Quartermaster General. So uh, Hodgkin and Knox, Secretary of War Knox, Quartermaster General Hodgkin are now put in charge of procurement contracts um, to equip this upstart army, this brand new army. So we're right back into into the shit again that we're We've got dregs for enlisted men mm-hmm. and uh, they're ill-equipped. There's nothing. I mean, there's there's maybe some old dilapidated old shit from the Revolutionary War that was turned in or, you know, There's vibes of the Korean broken. War
1: uh, to this thing, to the, the comparison of um, the troops that fought in World War II mm-hmm. were well-equipped and, and had a, you know, all that. So, and then they always the, the line I heard about the Korean War was that it was a... Um, an overweight and underprepared army.
0: Right. That's what that was fighting they were. with military surplus. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. So uh, I want to whatever condition it was in. Yeah. And i wanna, an, here in a second. So keep I on. just got to throw in one other yeah. name here because he comes up later on in the, in this story. Uh, William Dewar, who was a. Uh, um, was told by... It was going to be his own episode, right. I assure you, yeah. folks. <laughs> uh, he's a, he, he was also a sometime business partner with Henry Knox. So, there's, you know, is there collusion? But anyhow, he's hired uh, as a uh, uh, procurement contractor, um, a supplier, um, this guy, William Doerr, to, uh, to equip this new army. But he's told to, you know, hey, equip these guys, but do it on the cheap. And he did just that, uh, you know, um, it, it, the price you pay might have some reflection on as to the quality of the goods that some are going to be. war provided. profiteering
1: so, a little military right, inju- right. industrial complex and for you and as well.
0: William Doerr is definitely a. a a, um somebody that we're going to have to cover in a later episode because he's just such a scumbag that we, <laughs> we have to go into him later on. He's going to rival this another episode. Yeah. There's another scoundrel that comes in
1: later in the story that uh, I think uh, door is going to rival here. But uh, I thought this is worth mentioning too. Washington tells uh, St. Clair. All right, dude, you got to get this shit done. But in order for you to get this shit done you got to be moving around out there during the summer months because anyone who has ever experienced the Midwest or a Northwest winter can tell you. And I'm an idiot who went to boot camp in Great Lakes, Illinois, right. in January. You're right. Um, I can tell you, it gets a little cold out there. A little so, nippy, a little nippy. Yep, yeah, that was me. Uh, January 2008, I went out yeah, there. Yeah, we are
0: November 1st. So we're coming right around to that time when... Uh, these guys finally got their their act together. So, I mean, well, he tells them
1: to do it during the summer, but they don't even get underway until October. So, right. That's even well. I've dragged my ass on a couple of projects, right. Deb. I never dragged it for but 90 again, days.
0: You know, in, in their defense, they're trying to raise this army that doesn't exist. It's not equipped and everything else. So by the time they finally get their shit together, it's now, you know, the summer has gone. And Washington is, is telling St. Clair. Uh, you got to move out quickly. But at the same time, you know, these guys are totally unprepared. They're not trained. They're just taking these dregs out of of society. And and, and congratulations, you're now in the and you're in the army now. Uh, And um, but he's finally able to put this expedition together of about fourteen hundred men accompanied more by more uh, accompanied with uh, estimates vary, but it's probably around uh, 100 to 200 camp followers. So it could be wives, it could be prostitutes, it could be just hangers-on that are following this army that, hey, these guys are making money that uh, you know, we comply our trade with uh. They say prostitutes are the world's
1: oldest profession. I think the second oldest profession or the oldest profession for men is uh, uh, being a soldier, if you will. <laughs> so there's a reason why every military base always has a strip club nearby. <laughs> right. <laughs> but that's October 1791. All right. St. Clair does have that sizable, but still kind of inefficient um, number of the regulars are what? 600 regulars, 600 mercenaries, if you will, the conscripts, six month conscripts, by the way, which means you have to move fast because otherwise you're going to have to pay these guys their next contract. Right. Uh, and about 800 militia. So by my terrible math, that puts his force at uh, just over 2000.
0: Mm, I think that might be a little high, but. uh um, it's certainly not a huge, it's a huge force, but it's it's bigger than what they had the last time when uh, um, Homer got there, his ass kicked by the same by the same Native Americans. Right. And these guys have a mission, though, too. their objective is simple. They're
1: going to take uh, Kikionga, which I may be uh, mispronouncing, but I feel like I did a good job with, uh, which is the capital, if you will, of the Miami tribe. OK, and the Miami tribe, again, under the leadership of Little Turtle who's really uh, one of the big swinging dicks in this Indian right. coalition. Right.
0: He's the guy to go after because he's the guy that would that led um, led the Indians against uh, uh-huh. Harmer's defeat, this little turtle. So let's go after this guy. Let's go where he lives, too. By the way, modern-day Kikionga, You want to guess what it's called nowadays, Dad?
1: Uh, it's Fort Wayne, Indiana.
0: Fort Wayne, Indiana.
1: Yeah. Okay. Um yeah. Interesting. They're going to have their namesake is the same namesake of my hometown. We'll get to that later. Yep. Uh, So a slow moving discipline issue prone war party is advancing very slowly towards their uh, objective. Desertion is taking its toll. Uh, We said, let's say he started with 2000 men about he's going to lose about 500 men during the trip. Okay, say,
0: maybe that's where our disparaging yeah. numbers are. That what they started out yep. with and what they ended up with are two different things. By the way, to, bad numbers too.
1: That's one in four guys are just like fuck this. Yeah, right.
0: <laughs> I mean, they're they were ill equipped. I mean, they're not, they're not even given proper shoes or or cookware or anything else to really survive. They they're, they're saying that the uh, the horses, uh, the haversacks and stuff, uh, were ill fitting. It was just. It was a shit show right from the get go. Bad horses too. And, and now you're trying to move through the wilderness where um, there is some artillery with this uh, with this detachment. Um, but now you got to hack your way through the wilderness to get them uh, to get them in, in order for the artillery to move up through the through the wilderness. And you're basically hacking your way through with uh, with sh- shitty hatchets and axes and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Um, and they're also stopping to build little. Supply. There's a difference between an
1: outpost and a fort, as we're going to cover. Right. But uh, so th- they're setting themselves up for success uh, in hopes that they would have places to fall back to if something happened. You know what right. I mean? So they're being smart, but it's
0: taken a long time. Plus, you got about 200 um, hangers on, follow, camp followers that are f- behind you. So that's slowing down. The like march that scene too, from that Black Sales, We're like, we got
1: to build a tent it. to bring the whores in. It's <laughs> our first objective. No, we should get clean water first. No, no, no. Tent for the horse. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there you go.
1: But in addition to, like we said, that 2,000 strong force, there are about uh, the, the people that are traveling with the party. That slows things down, too. But nothing, dad, nothing is going to make the feeling of impending doom more palpable than the fact that the natives are constantly shadowing the advancing parties and yep. often skirmishing with them. So yep. out of nowhere, you just have you know, one of the braves, if you will, an Indian brave uh, will just come out of nowhere and just you know hatchet somebody. So, again, that scene from last, of the Mohicans is pretty accurate here. These guys... The enemies. Where's the enemy? They're there. Right. Well, they're where are there. they? There. Can't Everywhere. Yeah. yeah.
0: Can't see him, but they're there. And um, you know, again, that was another um, warning that Washington had given given Saint Clair that. You know, be aware of a surprise attack, because that's what happened the last time we sent the detachment out there, that those guys got surprised. And
1: Washington was a French and Indian war guy, and he they adapted a lot of the Native American fighting
0: styles for the revolution. Right. So this shouldn't be a new concept. To you know, he, he knew the frontier. Washington knew the frontier and how things are different on the other side of the Appalachians as, a, as opposed to along the, the seaboard. I'm the east, so it's it's a different brand of warfare completely.
1: It certainly is, man. Now uh on the evening of November third, which is ironically gonna be the day this episode comes out. So anything else happened on November third, Dad? November third? Yeah. No.
0: Nothing? No. Nope. November fourth though, there was there was a little something <laughs> that happened on November the fourth. <laughs>
1: Uh, inside baseball for a couple of birthdays in the family. But uh, November 3rd is the day this episode's going to come out. It is also the day that uh, St. Clair and his party settled near the Wabash River. So to take you all the way back to the beginning of the episode, the Battle of Wabash, uh, I think it's going to happen here.
0: Um, yeah. And just um, as they're moving through the wilderness, every night that they had to stop, they're only making like five or six miles a day, which, which sucks as far as advancing your troops through the... Through the uh, through the wilderness, um, but every night they would stop. They would put up some defenses around their encampment, at least posts and sentries and that kind of stuff. For sending out scouting parties to find out who might be in the in the neighborhood as well. Um, but when they finally stop on the on the banks of the Wabash on November the third, uh, they're hot, they're tired, they're wet. Uh, it's miserable conditions. Snow has already been been falling, so. Um, and these guys are ill-equipped to begin with. A lot of the guys have already deserted. They're like, screw this, I'm out of here. Um, so, desertions are a problem. They're just they're just done in, um, and they f- finally arrive for the encampment on November the third. Um, Saint Clair doesn't order any kind of uh, defenses to put up, you know, to dig in, to dig trenches or breastworks oh, yeah. or anything. They so.
1: they fuck this up right. pretty great. Right. I, I actually have a pretty good lock on. Um, the, the battle itself. And I know because we also talk about the fallout from the battle. And we are, uh, you know, we're doing OK on time here, but I want to make sure that we get everything uh, okay. settled where we yep. got to do. So uh, evening of November the 3rd, um, they settle okay. near the Wabash River. Now, they do pick a good spot. They pick up the the high ground, if you will. They're on a high hill over here. Strategically, that's going to be a good spot. And they make a camp. But unbeknownst to them, or maybe beknownst to them, but not in such numbers, the natives with a war party now numbering in the thousands, Okay, under the command of Blue Jacket, a guy by the name of uh, Buckong Hilos uh, of the, uh, I believe he was of the uh, the Delaware, uh, Delaware, yeah, the Delaware kind of merged with the Lenape as well a little bit in here too, um, and then Little Turtle uh, are in the dark, just waiting and biding their time.
0: Okay, yeah, now there was some um, some officers who on their own accord decided to go out and do a little scouting party. And they they were skirmishing with like a couple of dozen of the of the natives. But while they were skirmishing, they didn't realize that there was probably another thousand mm-hmm. uh, out in the out in the woods there that uh, just waiting to attack. So, uh, you know, uh, Blue Jacket and, uh, and and Little Turtle were definitely uh, big time um, warriors uh and and they saw the big picture here. and they saw the sort of strategy that was going to be entailed uh to- to defeat these guys and they're coming off of a of a victory, too. So it wasn't that long ago that, uh, you know, we, we kicked the, the crap out of them before. So here they are again and we're going to do the same the same shit to them again. So, you know, they're they're coming off a victory. They're coming off a win. So uh, let's go into the next uh, the next game.
1: Now, just like uh, we were saying earlier, though, too, a lot of these guys are used to in St. Clair's party, at least they're used to fighting traditional wars. Which are fought with standing armies, pitched battles, if you will. Uh, you don't fight at night, that kind of a thing. Uh, so the natives realize uh, that they're going to wait to attack at dawn, and they catch the entire camp off guard.
0: Yep, and the, there was it was that really the, these guys, the militia, didn't even bother stacking their rifles. Their rifles were scattered all over the place, if they had rifles, because again, they were ill-equipped. Um, at least the regulars stacked their rifles so that they'd be quickly. Gotten at the at the ready, but, but even, these guys the are thing. more. What, concerned. what are you
1: talking about? Them stacking the bed. Here's the key, though. What what did they wait for? They waited for breakfast.
0: They waited for breakfast. So everybody's standing around eating eating their breakfast, and I don't I don't give a shit about. the Best part of waking up. <laughs> yeah, it's Folgers in your cup. So if if there is any Folgers, but uh, um, you know they're they're more concerned about um, breakfast than they are with what might be out in the woods. So now, could you imagine being Little
1: Turtle and seeing this? First of all, they don't really conduct, uh, I believe one of the other generals was screaming at the militia because they weren't doing their own recon patrols, that it was just the officers that took it on their own accord, like you said. Right. So they're screaming, like, are you guys serious? You're not even going to look into what could I, you know possibly be out there and what? You guys aren't doing any sort of patrols or anything. And, you know, so he's screaming at them. Uh, and then Little Turtle sees the regulars stack their rifles and then all the other uh, militia guys, they're leaving their stuff. And they're like, oh, it's breakfast time. OK, no, no, it's it. We're, we're off the clock, you know, almost right. like a yabba dabba do kind of a thing yeah. for uh, Fred Flintstone. Little Turtle has to be sitting in there watching these guys walk away from their weapons and go stand on a chow line like. Are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) Are these guys serious? (laughs) Little turtle leads the first attack. The militia in response flees across the river without their weapons,
0: without their weapons, without firing a shot in response.
1: Mm -hmm. Pretty successful uh, initial attack here. Now, uh, this is the key we were talking about earlier. The difference between the militia, the militia is not super well trained. They can do some stuff, but they're not, you know, they're not looking good so far because they're on the other side of the river and they don't have any of their guns. The regulars are better trained. They at least stack their rifles, like you said, Dad. And they're able to give this uh, initial response here to uh, at least make this look like a fight. You know, half the armies. Yeah. So these guys are standing on the ready line, if you will. And they're able to repel the initial attack and force his little turtle back. But the very clever Sagamore of the Miami uses a flanking movement that will later encircle them. This is the most dangerous part of St. Clair's unit. OK, this is the best player on the field. These right. regulars. And they start taking them out.
0: Right. Plus, so. they, they 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 did have an artillery detachment and uh, Little Turtle and Blue Jacket realized that, you know, we have nothing because if they start firing canister shot and that type of a thing, um, they're not they don't have an answer to that. But what they did come up with is an answer of, well, if the artillery is going to take out our guys, uh, we're going to start taking out the artillerymen. So. Um, Little Turtle sends some of his best shots, if you will, um, to pick off the artillerymen. so if you've got cannons and there's nobody to fire the cannons, uh, <laughs> what good are the cannons?
1: And they're so effective, the sharpshooters that take them out, that uh, they realize that not only can they not keep the position, they have to abandon the position and they spike the guns. Spike the guns. Meaning that if they were to retake the position, the guns are already inoperable now right. at this point. Right, right. Spiking the gun being.
0: Spiking the gun means that uh, you're. Making that gun inoperative—that uh, you're not going to be able to, you're not going to have the enemy's not going to be able to turn that cannon around and, and fire on you. That you're making the cannon inoperative. It's right. going to take
1: some—that is major, an Alamo position major, type major,
0: thing. major machining <laughs> to uh, unspike the gun to make it <laughs> operative again. Well, now uh, there's uh, this
1: one I thought was interesting here uh, and worth mentioning. Another American Revolutionary War hero. Colonel William Dark. What a great name that is. Dark William will Dark. Dark. Yep. <laughs> it's, uh, he orders his men to fix bayonets and will lead multiple charges into the heart of the native forces. And it works sort of the very clever natives knew that they were not up for a bayonet versus tomahawk fight that, uh, you know, they, they can beat the shit out of us with these things from a distance, too. Um, So they realize they're probably not going to win that initial skirmish. And plus, the way that they used to move was like the Roman legionnaires, you know, that it was uh, you can repel the savage attack that way if you're organized and disciplined. So and dark's a pretty badass guy himself. So he kind of knows he knows at least he's responding. He's got his head in the game. Other people are going, by the way, during this time. Uh, St. Clair, over the uh, the course of this battle, has three different horses shot out from underneath him.
0: Yeah, St. Clair is definitely uh, not skedaddling with the militia. He's, he's in the thick of it, trying to rally the troops to repel this uh, Indian attack. And like you said, he had three different horses shot out from under him. They, he wasn't injured in the fight miraculously because... Um, they said there was like six different bullet holes though in his uh, in his garments in his clothing that uh, so you had three horses shot out and there was six different spots where you know the bullet grazed you if you will but oh Wilbur but yeah it's only a flesh wound
1: but, exactly. uh, <laughs> yeah well the um, now dark orders this uh, bayonet attack here uh, and they're they're thinking it's successful because they're able to plow through the lines uh, but again the clever uh, Indian coalition here. They now keep allowing them to keep moving forward, keep moving forward. But there's no one behind Dark and his men. So now they're completely surrounded. Right. They just circle around movements. them.
0: Yep. Right. The Indian ranks, if you will, open up and let the bayonet charge come right on through till they're attacking trees. It's like the uh,
1: the end of uh, the the uh, first Avengers movie. They're all backed up against each other here with it completely surrounded now because right. they, they tried to get into the middle of the fight. So uh, the native response is just utter devastation. Uh, Dark's own son actually dies in the effort, and uh, Dark barely escapes with his own life. He's wounded as well. Um, St. Clair, during this, and by the way, this whole battle, three hours. Three hours. That's one Joe Rogan podcast. Okay. You could start a Joe <laughs> Rogan podcast. That's Godfather 2, yeah. right? That, that's Braveheart. You could watch Braveheart, and that's how long this entire right, fucking one, one
0: good movie. And <laughs> it's over. Well,
1: uh, St. Clair is realizing that there is no path to victory, certainly no path to victory and possibly no path to survival. So he organizes his men and the officers that are still alive into uh, one last bayonet charge. The hope being that it can scatter enough of the natives that they can then have a speedy retreat. By the way, it's later said this wasn't a battle. This was a flight is uh, isn't right. The, the fuck the, out of Dodge
0: This was you're completely surrounded. So we're going to mount one more bayonet charge, but we're not going to stop. We're just going to keep right on going. If we break through their ranks, uh, we're just going to keep right on going and, and do this cadaddle back to uh, back to our people. Um, and, you know, they were able. essentially
1: to- this is him screaming abandon ship. Right. So um, now, like we said, it, there's. It's not really a skilled response here. People are we'll get into the numbers in a second of just how devastating this whole thing was. But in order for this tactic, which does work, by the way, and is the reason why anybody who survived was able to survive. But that meant that they had to abandon their camp which meant abandoning all the supplies, abandoning anybody that couldn't make the, the journey with them. So if you were wounded or you were left behind, right. this was not no man left behind. This right. was anybody who can't move is left behind.
0: Save yourself, man. Save your own ass. Now, what does that mean?
1: Are you a soldier? Are you one of the laundresses? Are you one of the wife's or you know, right. wife or child? Followers. The, or right. are you just a prostitute who was like, I came here for a party. <laughs> yeah. But it's uh it's ugly. OK, but the tactic works. They're able to get out. And they get pursued for about three miles. So anybody who's ever ran a 5K, imagine running a 5K uh, after you got the shit kicked out of you for three hours. And then also, if you stop running at all during the 5K, the natives get you again. So those zombie runs they do down at Asbury, a little bit of a different vibe here. Yeah,
0: right, right. The end result is death if you don't keep on going. So you'll find uh, your second wind, if you will. Yeah. As you're.
1: Running. It harkens to uh, the Mogadishu mile at the end of uh, Black Hawk Down where it's, uh, you know, you, you can't stop because right. they, they won't allow you. Um, so, uh, again, that's the only way they're able to get their retreat back to Fort Jefferson. OK, the tactic works, but uh, they had to abandon everybody. Uh, the natives eventually stopped chasing them. And it's not because they're like, oh, we're, we're too tired. The natives are just like, ah, this is getting hard. We've already won. Clearly, let's go back and raid that camp.
0: Yeah, let's go uh, collect some of the war trophies that uh, there's still there's still wounded there that we can uh, um, kill and, and take whatever of value off of them. Um, and they said that uh, the execution
1: fires, by the way, which execution fires sound exactly like what you think they are. Right. But execution fires would burn for uh, multiple days afterwards, meaning that they killed all the survivors. So if there was a guy who was wounded or a woman or a child, they were all executed.
0: There's Man, no... woman, and child, soldier, woman, child, whatever was in that in that expedition, if you will, were were killed, and uh, a funeral pyre was uh, was created. It's uh, it's pretty nasty. Now, I want to set you up for the the fallout
1: of all this, but I do want to hit the casualty rate for a second. Okay. So, the casualty rate would be the highest in the history of any army unit, and the greatest victory of any Native American war party in the entire history of our country. Yeah, but how come we
0: don't hear about that in
1: U.S. history one in uh, <laughs> freshman year in high school? It's a, it's like you don't hear about the giants before uh, Bill Parcells showed up, <laughs> right? But uh, yeah, casualty rate is brutal here. Uh, it is, um, it's by, by the way, it's considered the high water mark of a uh, Native American uh, victories against uh, you know white settler encroachment, if you will. Um, but. Uh, of the officers were casualties. Now, when we say casualty, just for people who are listeners that maybe aren't familiar with this stuff, that doesn't mean killed. That means uh, killed or wounded. Okay? So um, you can be a casualty if you took a bullet in the foot, you know? Um, But 88% of the officers were casualties. 97% of the soldiers were casualties. Okay? That means 3% got out unscathed. That's some shit odds, Dad. Right, Right. And the the KIA numbers on this one, this this fucked me up. 632 of 920 soldiers were killed. All right. And you pointed this out to me. Uh, what's the you talk about a standing army at the beginning of the episode? What's the percentage of the standing army that got wiped out during
0: this battle? Dad, I think it was uh, somewhere around 25 percent. I can't remember what the percent one fourth, one fourth. Yeah. Twenty five percent. All right. So one fourth of the standing U.S. Army. Is now wiped out in this one battle at the battle of wabash yeah it's uh it's absolute brutality here um now i want to set
1: you up for success what's the uh what's the initial aftermath now because obviously news is going to get back to washington but also what are these guys going to do to try to, to get out of dodge here because the natives could easily just you know march a couple of miles down the road and come back after them now at fort Jeffers.
0: right right well there was a lot of a lot of things that happened uh that were important um, in the aftermath. But again, we're, we're talking about November 4th um, for this battle. Um, the Native Americans have already had two victories, but at the same time, um, things weren't well with the with the farming for anybody in that particular season. So they had to go back. They kind of disbanded rather than mount the. You know, it wasn't an Indian army. It was just a coalition of uh, guys coming together to face the foreign foe. Um, So they had to go back to their own lives, their own tribes, their own uh, areas um, and go on news of the of this major defeat comes back to Philadelphia, where Congress is still in session. And like everybody's like, oh, my God, this is the second time now that these Native Americans have kicked our ass that there's everybody's outraged over this whole thing. Um, so it's scary, man. The idea we, that we, yeah, we where have, are
1: they coming next? That's yeah, the other.
0: Where one, are they so. coming next? Uh, are we going to have to face that that foreign foe? Um, there's going to be an investigation as how could this possibly have happened, and who's who's to uh, who's the blame for this major defeat? Um, and this is where we're starting to get um, some first time precedents happening here again. This is a a founding nation that a lot of this stuff wasn't in play yet. Um, Congress decides, oh, we have to have an investigation. And um, how are we going to go about that? That, Are we going to call in the president to have him stand before Congress to find out what happened? Um, What eventually did happen is this was the first time that we had a Congressional investigation. So, Congress decides that they're going to have their own select committee to do some uh, investigation as to what this whole thing happened. And then they're calling in um, War Department officials, Henry Knox, and State Department officials uh, as to how could this possibly have happened. Um, George Washington is asked for. Um, documents as to, you know, who issued the orders for this and that uh, for the outfitting and for um, for leading, for leadership and everything well, they else. A lot of blame to spread around. Right. Like said. Uh, who, who's to blame for this? Um, and initially um, George Washington initially restrict or re, um, resists Congress asking for these various documents, you know. Um, so this is really the first time that The the whole idea of executive privilege comes in that Congress doesn't have the authority to ask the president to produce the the paperwork. George Washington has enough sense to call in his whole board, if you will. Um, What do you think we should do with this? That the the Senate, the the House of Representatives, is is um, looking for this investigation and and looking for. Some of the some of the paper trail, if you will, to this whole um, boondoggle of of an attempt to fight the Native Americans. So he assembles really what is the beginning of the U.S. Cabinet. He assembles his people. We got the secretary of state, Thomas Jefferson, the secretary of the Treasury, Alexander Hamilton, the secretary of war, Henry Knox, and the attorney general, Edmund Randolph. To seek advice, how are we going to handle this? Are we going to, uh, you know, give them what they're what they're asking for? Uh, And on the following Monday, um, you know, he meets with them like over the weekend type of thing. And then um, the president's men, (laughs) the uh, the beginnings of this cabinet, if you will, uh, they decide unanimously that we have to. Bow to Congress's request for this information. Uh, so this is a unanimous uh, decision that yeah, the president does have to answer to uh, to Congress, kind of a thing on this investigation. And we're setting precedent all the way back then. All the way back then. At that, and and Washington knew that. Then he's he's a you know very much aware that these presidents established would influence. Actions of uh, whoever's going to follow him uh, in the years, uh, years coming up. Um, but he realizes that, you know, this is a unanimous decision by all of these guys. And it carries extra weight when you have both Jefferson and Hamilton to both agree, because those two guys never agreed on anything <laughs> so, to have Jefferson and Hamilton both agree that, yeah, you got to you got to give the uh, this congressional uh Um, investigation what they're asking for. So there's a whole big investigation back and forth. You know, how could this possibly happen? Um, The end result was um, St. Clair is kind of given a pass on this that, yeah, he definitely made some mistakes, but at the same time, um, you know, what he had been given going into this thing, untrained ill-equipped poorly equipped uh, militia and a, just a small band of regulars who did have some training um, you know, it was it was an eye opener you know l- we learn from our mistakes um, but, again, um, I want to get into the, the response of that, too, here in a second. Right. There was the, the big blame. Initially, the result, the big blame was placed on Henry Knox, the secretary of war, and the quartermaster general, this Samuel Hodgkin. And then, will, again, our, our buddy, this unscrupulous um, uh, contractor, this William Duer, who, again, is going to be a later episode Um you know they were really found that the, the even the the small amount of uh, materials and stuff that they were given was of such shitty quality that uh, these guys didn't have a chance right from the start i mean for a force of uh, 1400 guys going out into the wilderness they were only issued 100 axes and they all sucked There was one there was one response by some of the officers under uh, St. Clair's command that the axes bent like like bent like biscuits or some wasn't biscuits. But, uh, um, you know, it was a shitty, shitty metal. And they only sent 100 of these axes and it was only one sharpening stone for 100 axes. And you're trying to send this force through the wilderness. A lot of the guys didn't even have muskets that were operative. because there were leftovers from the Revolutionary War, so it was a it was a shit show. Um, Henry Knox uh, writes in his own defense about the findings of this Senate committee, and then uh, Saint Clair re- writes a response to Henry Knox's response. So it's back and forth. Nobody really s- served any consequences to this. Nobody served any jail time. That's nobody, fucking weird. Yeah, <laughs> and nobody. Uh, Nobody um, was really um, suffered any major consequences. St. Clair, though, was relieved of his command. I mean, Washington was pissed. Well, because uh, it just to,
1: I want to make sure that everyone at home is understand this part, too. St. Clair had every intention of resigning after his court martial. He requested the court martial believing that they would exonerate him. But Washington goes, I'm not going to give you that opportunity. You're, I'm forcing you to resign right now. So we really scapegoated the shit out of him.
0: Yeah. And Washington was pissed, though, because it was by Washington's selection that he put St. Clair in charge. And, you know, Washington told him, you got to leave before the before the fall because of the weather conditions that you're going to be facing. And, uh, you know, but it was it was a rush job right from this right from the start. Oh, totally. And, um, you know, was St. Clair scapegoated? Yeah, I think so. Um, was did he um, have some uh faux pas of his own? Absolutely. Absolutely. By not setting up any kind of defense, um, you know, not listening to the reports that there's, hey, there's Indians in the area. There's just a whole host of different things that uh he didn't uh he didn't follow through on that uh you know he, he was a definite blunder. You but. know
1: it's bad when they, they name the thing after you we've talked about that on the show before. If you they name your blunder after you, you fucked up. Yeah. But there's uh, there's three things I want to hit real quick, too, on the way out of this. Um, interestingly enough, uh, so the people who are able to escape to Fort Jefferson, um, they a lot of people got trapped at Fort Jefferson because they weren't able to continue to escape from there. So they actually believe it or not. Here's your loser reception for the week, folks. Um, the person who actually is going to come through. And set up a supply line to get back to the boys over at Fort Jefferson, where, by the way, conditions were so bad that they said upon arrival, they were seeing the survivors. So imagine this one. Oh, thank God. We survived the battle of uh, Wabash. Wabash. uh, We
0: got back to uh,
1: Fort Jefferson. We're safe now, right? There's not enough food there. They're eating green horse hide, like like rotting horse flesh is the go to meal over there. And the people who are finding this lose reception all the way back to one of our initial first 10 episodes, I believe. The biggest scoundrel in American history, uh, James Wilkinson, yeah. right? The biggest scoundrel, the, the scumbag founding father, if you will, who was a spy for Spain the entire time and would sell his allegiance left and right. That's how few people. The problem is Wilkinson could get shit done. So that's why Washington would use him. He's actually the guy who's able to settle over at Fort Jefferson. Um, and he winds up uh, taking he leads the supply convoy over there.
0: Yeah, you know, he's put one when St. Clair was um, relieved of command. Um, it was uh, James Wilkinson who was put in command of what mm-hmm. St. Clair used to command, if you will. Yeah. So, so pretty yeah. fascinating there. Right.
1: Now, uh, the other thing, too, is that the Native American response to this. They're like, holy shit, we got this. You know, we're doing great. We're up, uh, we're up by three possessions at halftime. We're doing right. great. Um, they, it doesn't really work out for them. There's actually infighting between Little Turtle and Blue Jacket because they're both trying to take credit for it, where it's a Belichick Brady thing. You know, so, well, I mean, I'm the one out on the field making all the calls over there. Yeah, yeah but it's my system. You're implementing this. So they're arguing right. back and forth here. That winds up uh, causing some resentment between them, which also has the fracture in there. Now, also, the other thing is there, there's a third party in all this that gets very, very uh, fascinating to talk about before we cover the final uh, resolution, if you will, which leads to the name Fort Wayne, uh, Indiana. But um, the British are very interested in this right now, where it's, uh, hey, those Americans, those ungrateful colonial bastards. Right. Well, uh, we just got them uh, their ass whooped right here. And geopolitical strategy wise, they were all these you know British weapons are getting uh, used by the Native Americans. They're, they're funding this pretty much because they're saying the enemy of uh, our enemy is our friend kind of right. thing. So they're excited. They think that there might be this full Indian state. It's going to be between them and potential British interests. Out Which is what trapping. they were
0: trying to set up. Yeah, that oh, was yeah. that was definitely a ploy that the British were so su- their army su- the supplying right?
1: to stop the Russians kind of a right. thing. Exactly.
0: So <laughs> it's a, it's good, very interesting. Good parallel. Good parallel. So, yeah. So if we have the British up in Canada and we've got these Americans on the eastern seaboard and. You know, initially they were not to go on the other side of the Appalachians. Well, that's Indian territory. So the British are doing whatever they can to help the Native Americans to fight the uh, these new Americans, these new these upstarts. Um, And wouldn't it be great if we could have this Native American country in between us? in Canada and the Americans uh, along the eastern seaboard so they uh, thought that would be great then something happens a uh, little, little stuff going
1: on over in Europe where all of a sudden the Brits are like hey you know um we should probably we need the Americans uh, on our side a little bit if push comes to shove here cuz in 1794 a little guy by the name of uh, Napoleon Bonaparte is starting to get a little bit of power over in France they have arrested and executed Maximilian Robespierre which effectively ends the reign of terror the french revolution so shit's getting real dicey over there now and they're saying this little uh this little french guy he could be a problem so let's at least at least the americans speak our language so let's maybe ease back on that a little bit
0: they used to be british i mean (laughs) rather than fighting uh, amongst ourselves maybe we can uh, get some help from them in fighting uh, the french or at least you know uh, once again the british are fighting the, the french
1: now my final aliens reference for the episode here as we're landing this plane, uh, seventeen ninety three. Now uh, they get the right guy for the job. Okay, um, General Mad Anthony Wayne, who uh, is now going to move on. Now he's he's a badass dude from the American Revolution. You don't get the name Mad Anthony um, without right. having a little fire. He's, a, team, he's right? a fighter. There's some piss and vinegar with that boy, but uh, literally on Christmas Day. They identify the site because they're able to get up there now and they realize um, this is where the Battle of Wabash took place because of the large amount of unburied remains. Um, it was so bad. A picture again, picture in aliens when they're sitting there, they see all the bodies like stuck up against the wall and everything like that. That's literally what Matt Anthony Wayne's coming up against. We're like, all right, guys, set up a camp near that guy's decapitated head. And if you guys can just move those rib cages out of the way, we can probably put <laughs> right, up a right. you know a watering hole over there. Right. But it's uh it's absolute insanity here. The Legion, though, as they're called right now.
0: Yeah, because, again, all right, um, Congress, once again, there's a reformation of the Army. So now we're the the, the Legion, um, and they're putting Matt Anthony Wayne um, in charge of that. But now they're getting better equipment. They're training these guys and everything else before he takes them. Because I think it's uh, almost two years later when they finally yeah. get back up to the, to the um, Wabash battle site. Um, so, you, he's not going at it with a bunch of uh, militia. He's no, going, they're coming in with colonial marines now. Yeah, it's he, game day. He's, he's coming in with uh, with some badass people that uh, – or at least trained people and equipped people to fight the, to fight the Native Americans and has a uh, huge victory at uh, the Battle of Fallen Timbers. Yes, sir. Uh,
1: now, it takes them about a year after that, but they wind up um, negotiating something called the Treaty of Greenville, which – Pretty much ends the Northwest Indian War here. So that, that threat kind of gets nullified, if you will. And again, that's where the, the tragedy of the natives comes in, because then you start just keep pushing them westward and westward. And,
0: right. You know, and again, now the natives no longer have the British helping them out in fighting the Americans. So, I mean, they lost their supply line, if you will, as far as weaponry and that type of thing. So, um, yeah, it was it was a downside for the Native Americans uh, for that. Um Meanwhile, I mean, St. Clair himself, um, although he's relieved of command of the army, uh, he still uh, remained the governor of the of the territory. Um, And he he stayed in that position until he was later removed by new president Thomas Jefferson. Um, And that was due to his um, St. Clair's strong opposition for Ohio to become a state. You know what the political intrigue was there. Uh, Who who knows? But, uh, you know, um, Jefferson just decides to take him out of there. Um, St. Clair had made huge investments in that whole Ohio territory, but never really saw a return. So at one time he was St. Clair was the largest landowner um, uh, west of the uh, Appalachian. So he was he was big time guy. uh, And but now a lot of his investments never really did see the return. Uh, He was never reimbursed for his his expenditures that he made as governor of the territory. Uh, He's pretty much destitute and then returns uh, to live with his daughter in western Pennsylvania, where he spent the remainder of his life in a small cabin after losing most of his fortune and land holdings. Uh, St. Clair dies at the age of uh, 81 in 1818. Jesus. So it didn't didn't end well. But this is the same guy, Arthur St. Clair, that there are 10 towns, three counties, three streets and a hospital in the United (laughs) States and a three-star hotel in Scotland named after Arthur St. Clair. Um, But that's an American general for the War of Independence that you probably never heard of. Exactly. And again, like we said, you know that – they're uh, they're
1: railroading you if they name your worst thing after you. Yeah, St. So, Clair's
0: defeat. Yeah.
1: Yeah. KP's defeat was in Jacksonville, Florida. <laughs>
0: that wasn't the American Army's defeat. That was St. Clair's defeat. He's the guy.
1: Yeah. Way to uh, scapegoat him on that one. Mm-hmm. But uh, we're going to land this plane now, guys. But uh, there was an article that came out in Harper's Monthly in 1896, uh, deeply going into the story of St. Clair's defeat gave a lot of people, a lot of modern, uh, first of all, brought it to the attention of a lot of people who had kind of been, um, you know, brushed under the the carpet, if you will, here. But um, a lot of uh, the American people started to get a a load of it and uh, figure it all out. And the author of that article, take one guess, Mink, take one guess. What potential person could we possibly be talking about?
0: Uh, That would be the greatest man that ever lived. (laughs) Theodore Roosevelt. Everybody.
1: <laughs> there you go. Teddy motherfucking Roosevelt. <laughs> That's right. But uh, I do want to start saying uh, um, thank you to everybody who listens to the show. Uh, we're going to announce right now our Patreon topic for the month uh, by the uh, by Thanksgiving. You guys should have this ready. It's going to be um, we're going to go a little bit in depth on that one. Maybe we're going to have to book a two hour for that one. I think hopefully we'll go short of the two hours. But you know what? The Patreon people deserve the info. And uh, uh, we're going to cover the War of 1812. Very ambitious topic for us, but uh, much like our Tammany Hall episodes, that's the stuff that gets us off the hook with um, the real uh, hoity-toity history people. They're like, well, Tammany Hall is pretty good. They fucked up one or two details here and there on other, but Tammany Hall is pretty good. So the War of 1812, a fascinating topic, and I think you guys are going to get a true appreciation for that. So if you want to hear it and you're not a member of the Patreon already, five bucks a month. Bill Cianci knows what he's doing. All right. He made ahead, you know. Went ahead and jumped on that uh, that train for us, and I want to say thank you. By the way, if you are no longer a member of the Patreon, come on back. All right, come on back. You can give us a chance. We'll win you back over. But anyway, um, LP, anything you want to say to the people at home?
0: No, I just you know, to me, this guy was fascinating because I never really heard of him uh, prior to doing some investigation for other pod, you know, for other episodes that we had. But Arthur Saint Clair was really, you know, he led to so many. Initial things that uh, um, setting precedent for executive privilege, uh, setting precedent for Senate um, uh, investigations. There was so many things that this guy really uh, came of this whole disaster of uh, St. Clair's uh, defeat um, that, uh, you know, it really where did it get its beginning? Well, it, it was from this guy, Arthur St. Clair. He
1: is – because sometimes we cover a topic on here, and they're like, well, I don't see how he's really a loser, but it's an interesting topic. Arthur St. Clair is a loser, okay? He got scapegoated like none other, and he's completely forgotten in history, and the only history he's allowed to have, you have to dig deep to even figure out that it wasn't really his fault. So, um, I thought this was a fantastic topic. Thank you for coming up with it. This was all you, dude, in your background research. (laughs) There you go. And uh, I want to say thank you to Ming Chen for giving up uh, his Sunday morning here. Uh, Kahuna would have been here, but he wanted to watch cartoons, so – it is what it is, um, and uh, let's see. The Giants are on Monday Night Football, so we're not missing anything by the one o'clock kickoff. And let's be honest, we're not missing much on Monday either. <laughs> so, but uh, guys, thank you so much. Uh, if you want to check out the show, it's at American Loser Podcast over on Instagram. The official American Loser Facebook page is up. We try to interact with people on that one as best we can. You can find me over at, at KP Burke Sucks on Instagram. KP Burke over on Facebook. I do have some comedy dates coming up, actually, believe it or not. There's some stuff still going on over here. We'll see what happens. But check us out there. Support the show if you can. It means a lot to us. Even if you can't afford the Patreon, just go ahead and leave us a written review over on iTunes or something like that. Maybe that share helps. the stuff on yep. Facebook. Anything you guys do helps. We love doing the show for you guys. And we actually finally have a little bit of a budget to maybe do some advertising. goddammit. damn it. So uh, thank you very much to Mike and Ming over to Shared Universe Podcast Studio. Uh, that was my Delph of a Dad, Lawrence Burke. All right. Uh, I'm Kevin Patrick Burke, and that was Arthur St. Clair, American Loser.
0: An American Loser the day I was born An American Loser the day I was born An American Loser the day I was born